What is up, Fence fam, and welcome to the Fence Expert Podcast, a podcast devoted to anything and everything fence. Whether it's tools, guests, or answering your fence-related questions, you've come to the right place. This podcast is sponsored by OZFence.store, your one-stop shop for all your fencing-related hardware. Right now, they're offering a free shipping of $150 or more, and if you use the discount code PODCAST, you can save 15% in addition to the free shipping. With all that being said, let's dive into this week's episode. What is up, Fence fam? So good to have you guys back again for another week of live Q&A. Now, we're coming to you guys live from the expert professional wood care products. Gotta, I th- gotta think that through in my mind, make sure I'm saying the words correctly. The expert professional wood care product studios. Uh, it's a brand I truly enjoy representing. Great product. We've used them here long before they become a sponsor. Uh, great products. If you guys are into wood staining, or if you're not into wood staining, but thinking about wood staining, you should check out their free Facebook page. Great stuff there. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Caleb, Ashley, and the team. I always enjoy seeing you guys. Uh, February is the next Staining University coming up in Nashville. It's going to be big. I don't know. There's a big announcement coming, and I don't know if it's been made yet, so I'm not going to say it, but uh, we should be able to talk about it. Now, next week, there's not going to be a live. There'll be a live the week after, so uh, we'll talk about it the week after. Probably bring Caleb on, I would bet. Talk about the big announcement. It's going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, And actually, I just reserved our Airbnb for Braden and I, so that's squared away, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. If you guys are watching live, thank you. Leave your uh, thank you for viewing, and be sure to drop a question or comment in the comments below. Today is all about you guys answering your guys' questions or bringing up your comments, discussion items, that sort of thing. Now, we're going to hold it pretty close to an hour. Uh, today is my youngest birthday party. She had a birthday a few weeks ago, but because of the holiday season, uh, her birthday is today. And I have been given very strict instructions. I am to be home. So, and I have learned to listen. So we're going to keep this pretty close to an hour. So get your comments and questions in early. That way it gives us time to answer them. If you're listening to this on the podcast, welcome. I appreciate you guys listening. This is the recorded version of a live Q&A that I host most every Saturday. I say most every because occasionally, such as next week, we will not be hosting a live q and I'll be out of town. So, But most every Saturday we host a live Q&A. Uh, you can catch that on YouTube.com forward slash Joe Everest or Facebook.com forward slash the real Joe Everest. And we'll get into the real Joe Everest here in just a little bit. But uh, yeah, so I appreciate you guys listening. If you guys want to tune in live, come hang out with me on Saturdays or just wait for the podcast to drop. That's totally fine, too. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm told that it's a good thing for me to ask you for five-star reviews. If it's an honest review, I'm not, I don't want to get into these fake reviews and all that nonsense. But if you like it, consider giving it five stars and maybe sharing it with some people. So anyway. Guys, those of you that are watching live, thank you. I appreciate it. Let's say hello to a few people. Tom Williams was the first up. What's up, Tom? Not a professional, but always a lot of good information here. Tom, I appreciate you viewing. I really do. Thank you. Kevin says, good morning. Kevin here from Lighthouse Fence Company in Santa Barbara, California. Kevin, I've got to tell you, I'm a bit jealous because I've got to think in Santa Barbara, it's probably a little bit warmer than 45 degrees, which is what it is here. 45 and drizzly, so not fantastic, but it is early January, so any temperature that is above massively... It's only 52, actually. What's that? It's only 52 in Santa Barbara. Oh, it's only 52 in Santa Barbara? Well, it's better than 45, I guess, but cooler than I would have thought of, Kevin. 
But yeah, here in Missouri, Southwest Missouri, anything above like massively freezing in January is a win. So we will take it. We'll accept 45. Anyway, Aaron Preston says, let's go, Joe. Let's go, Aaron. What's up? Appreciate you watching and joining us. Here's a familiar name. Share me. What is up? Happy New Year. Fence fam. Couldn't agree more. Nathan Down says he's riding solo. He is. He also left you a message. So when you get a chance, like not at the moment, but when you get a chance, call call me back. I'm actually going to be in your neck of the woods uh, next Thursday, specifically next Thursday morning. So I want to get with you about that, see if you can't stop by and uh, check out the new studio. If you guys are into listening to podcasts and all that, you should check out Nathan Downs, uh, Protecting Your Radius podcast. Nathan, please correct me if that's incorrect, but I believe I got that one. Uh, check out Nathan's podcast. He's on episode, well, episode one dropped this week, So, uh, but there was an episode zero. So you want to start at zero and then move your way forward. Um, but he had Brett on, and I really, you guys should, you guys should tune in. I enjoyed hearing it. I enjoyed hearing about the progression of Finch Track. So I met Brett and his dad at, at actually at an AFA Midwest event when it was at the Hard Rock. Actually, the last year was at the Hard Rock. And um, yeah, got to know those guys, but I hadn't heard the actual backstory about how Finch Track came to be. So I thought that was interesting. If you guys are interested in learning more about Finch Track and how it came to be, check out the Protecting Your Radius podcast. Pro Wash Missouri. Good morning. Good to see you. This is like three or four weeks in a row, and I appreciate it. This name is becoming very familiar for you guys that watch on a weekly basis. Fence Genius, good morning from the beautiful Northwest. Good morning. Uh, regarding software, there's so much focus on sales and CRM, but no attention to potential offsite production or increases in efficiency and fabrication. Wish we could talk Fence Genius one day. I, I like that. So I'm following you. I, I'm watching this. You and I have kind of conversed off off channel i don't know if that's the term but like via messages right and um i'm i'm intrigued by this so well i don't want to spoil it you guys should look up finch genius it, especially if you guys are making pre-manufactured or installing pre-manufactured wood panels making your own it's check it out finch genius it's an, it's a slick looking software um i'll connect with you guys more offline and talk about having you guys on to talk about it bo devore good morning joe tapping in from oregon Bo, welcome. Appreciate you joining us. Another Pacific Northwesterner. Sparta Fence. Morning, Joe, from Orange County, California. Sparta Fence? Sparta Fence, not Sparta. Sparta Fence. Thank you for joining us. Todd's here. Happy New Year from Boston. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. That was probably a horrible way of saying Boston. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. I feel like that. All right. Todd, welcome. And I apologize for any offense taken by that pronunciation um speaking of the east northeast coaster concerning distributors what is up sir happy saturday and happy new year joe philly in the house christopher i appreciate you joining us i still i still tell people about the uh the philly cheesesteaks that we went and got uh, specifically at donkeys fantastic chili cheese philly cheese steak there you go thank you nathan says who has the best fish industry podcast today who will have the best by the end of 2023? Nathan, I'm not even going to wade into that discussion. I think this is actually an honest opinion. I listen to all of them. Okay. So it's like, I don't, it's like having kids. Like you don't have a favorite kid. You have like a favorite in certain situations, right? Like if we're doing this, I got a favorite, but if we're doing that, maybe I got a different favorite. I'm not picking favorites here, Nathan, but I do like yours. 
but I also like the others. I don't want you to clip that. And okay, you guys should check them all out. Speaking of podcast, Dan Wheeler. Good morning, Joe. Packing my bag for the Mister Fence Academy retreat. Fence fam, I am jealous. It's it's always on a week where. All right, so let's talk about what's coming up. So next week, the reason I'm not going to be hosting a live is is so there's a an indoor racing event called the Chili Bowl. It's over in Tulsa. Uh, me and this group of friends have been going since at least early high school. We It may have been late middle school. Um, a buddy of ours, dad, would take us. It's over in Tulsa. It's only about a three-hour, two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour drive. Um, so we'd always go. And it's the indoor dirt track racing. And the, it's in January, right? So where else are you going to go in the Midwest, go watch sprint car racing? It has turned into – it's always been – it's always been a fairly big deal, but now it's like a massive deal. Um, big names in NASCAR are in spring. Are, this is like their, if you're familiar with baseball, this is their farm league, right? This is their developmental programs. Um, so you've got names, you know, you've got all the big names. You've got Earnhardt. Uh, you've got uh, Danica Patrick racing it for a while. He Smoke races in it, or he used to race in it. Now he just does the uh, dirt tractor or they, I don't know what they call that thing, the thing that spins up the dirt and makes it nice and even and level again. But, um, yeah, so you see big names in the racing industry. This is their developmental league. And so the racing is fantastic. People come from all over the world. There's usually one or two racers from New Zealand. There's a, there's several from Europe. There's, they come in from all over the world. And it is a action-packed week of racing. So, yeah, but unfortunately, it's always this week, right? It's always the same week as the retreat. So. It is what it is. This is a tradition where um, I'm trying to think. I think I missed once when um, when Josie was born. So I missed it two years ago because it happened like a few weeks after uh, Josie was born. And it was also during like the pandemic. So I was like, I don't need to be bringing anything home to a newborn baby. So I've missed it once in the last lots of years, 20 some odd years we've been going. So anyway. That's coming up next week. That's why we're not having a live Q and A. It was because I will be, well, this time Saturday we will be at the, uh, at the. Well, what is it called now? It was the uh, Quick Trip Center, and I think it was Lucas Oil. It might, be, it's probably still Lucas. Lucas Oil has everything, so it's probably still them. But I will be at the racetracks watching. Uh, see what time it is. So it's ten fifteen. Well, they'll still be doing preliminary races, I bet. But anyway, so, but that's why I can't make it to the retreat. It's like. I always want to go. So I've been to one, which is, uh, which was when it, it was the same time period as uh, the fence tech in Nashville that got canceled. So yeah, I've been to one. I want to be to more, but there's always, it's always on the same week and there's always a conflict. Tom Williams says, can you talk about some of those pretty urban fences with six by six posts, post gaps, fancy gates, the whole effect is like art. Yeah. So fully custom fences are a thing, so, which is what this sounds like. So six by six posts, typically uh, the ones that typically the ones I've seen are the ones that you can see the post from either side. So it's inset panel. Um, yeah. And then usually there's a deck. You mentioned decorative caps. Sometimes they're just actually trimmed decoratively. Um, they look pretty slick. I'm a big fan. Now they're fully custom. So they have the price tag that, that comes with a fully custom fence. But I agree. The guys that make these fences, they look really nice. Really do like them. It says, all truth, all the podcasts are doing great. Now, I absolutely agree. Uh, now, we talked about Dan Wheeler. We did not talk about Dan Wheeler's podcast. 
he, during the intro, he used to say it was the first and only podcast for the fencing industry. Now, obviously, not the case. But this was of his own doing. He convinced several of us to start doing podcasts. So I feel like this is okay to say. Um, but he will always and forever be the fence, the first podcast for the fencing industry. Uh, go check out, uh, go check out Dan Wheeler's podcast. I don't know where I was going with that. Big Jerry's Fencing. Happy New Year from Big Jerry's Fencing in North Carolina. Happy New Year. Uh, big fan of North Carolina. We, I, I'm actually from North Carolina. So uh, outside of Raleigh, a small town named Cary, uh, like a suburb of Raleigh, I suppose. Um, actually, so Braden and I went by there earlier this year. We were out for a training event uh, for TCAM. And yeah, took a took, what, about an hour drive or so down to carry like hour 20 i don't know about an hour and i feel like my expectations of go i haven't seen this house since the day like we pulled out in a u-haul back when was that or mid 90s no before that yeah i don't know probably mid 90s and uh i feel like my expectations were a bit higher than the reality of like going back and seeing the old place um yeah the neighborhood's not it is what it is right then it was a nice neighborhood when we were there um now i feel like probably it's it's the life cycle of neighborhoods i guess now there's probably more rentals there than there are owners and anyway it was a bit and the big massive mall the carry mall they were in the process of like demolishing it there were like bulldozers and semis like hauling stuff out it was just a bit disappointing so anyway but big jerry's hey so question big jerry's fencing where in north carolina are you from Kevin says, question, change orders. Do you make a financial adjustment for all change orders? I feel there are always things that come up that maybe got uh, that got missed in the initial walkthrough. <sighs> yes and no, right? So do we issue change orders? Yes. we. You've got to track the whole project through change order like we do just so we can make sense of when decisions were made, what decisions were made, like what the results of the decisions were. Um, do we charge for them? Not always. Some of the things, when you look at a set of plans, some things you just know are going to change, right? So, uh, you know, maybe maybe the fence is too close to an electrical transformer. So you see that on the plans, and you say, well, all right, this is this thing's going to have to move anyway. This isn't actually where it's going to end up. Or you look at you where some gates are on the plans. You're like, well, whoever drew, drew these plans up have not never driven a big truck through a set of gates they are not going to want these gates here. They're going to want these gates somewhere else or or in set usually is what it is. They'll have a big set of gates at the road frontage. Like, well, you're really going to want to inset those for your 50 feet so that you can get a truck and a trailer off the road and through the gates, stuff like that. Some of the stuff we anticipate is the point. So on those, we'll, we'll obviously issue the change order. Usually once we're awarded the contract, we'll bring some of these things up. Like, hey, this is these are the anticipated issues we see with the project, if you could talk to the owner, see if they'd like to make changes now, we would issue a change order in that instance, but we had already planned for it. We we just knew it was going to take extra fencing because we're going to set the gate in 50 feet or whatever it is. So it's going to take about 100 more feet of fence, right? If we got 50 feet on either side, we'd already anticipated it. So it'd be a, a no, no cost change order, but we'd still track it with change orders. Uh, now, sometimes as a project's progressing changes come up because we build buildings in the real world and not on paper so sometimes things change and if it's something we ha hadn't anticipated hadn't anticipated 
then there usually would be a financial, you know, aspect to that change order. There would be a cost for that change order. That's our way of doing it. Now, another way of doing it would be to bid it as it is on paper, knowing there's going to be changes, but it is what it is. We're going to bid it per plan, right? So there's other people out there that will bid this per plan, knowing that there's going to be four or five change orders. So their model might be to bid it at the lowest dollar, knowing that they can make up some of that on change orders. Teach their own. I We like to anticipate as much as possible. Put that in the bid. We anticipate these changes. Our bid you know, is whatever that takes into account. Sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. Right. Sometimes uh, it is purely a lowest bidder scenario. Some so there's a difference between lowest bid and lowest and best. So lowest or best would be so we would come in saying we anticipate these changes. This is our bid. You know, there typically be two bids, one bid and an alternate. The alternate being we anticipate these changes. Here's our bid that takes these changes into account. Uh, so sometimes we'll be awarded bids because we did preemptively see there's a few changes here. This is going to be closer to actual cost rather than just lowest cost. Each have their own place. I'm not going to call anybody out on what they do. I, that's just the way we prefer to do it. Um, but yeah, change orders. We yeah, we do make change orders. Sometimes there are costs involved. Sometimes there's no cost involved because, or if it's going to be no cost to us, it's no cost to the client. Right? If it's not going to take anything out of our bank account, not any extra time, nothing like that. There's also savings change orders, right? Which is like something that's fairly unheard of, at least in our area, of if there's less footage or if there's a set of gates deducted, then we'll or then we'll put a deductive change order that actually shows the savings. Um, yeah. To answer your question, Kevin, I hope that does. Yeah, we do. We issue change orders. Josh Rand, woo, from Heber. Glad to hear you made it back safely. Not to be confused with Cancun, Guadalajara, or... or Guatala, not Guadalajara, Guatala, or Cabo. And listen, I've been following you on social media. Josh has been making the rounds in like Central South America. Um, jealous, very jealous, especially when it was like negative 26 wind chill. Little bit jealous of you, buddy. But I'm glad you made it back. Speaking of somebody else, I believe is make, is uh, attending the Mr. Fence Academy. I thought, think I saw you make that comment. Uh, jealous of you there as well. Fellow Californian, Californian. I think that works. Brent Mitch, what's up, buddy? Good to see you in here. Happy New Year, my man. Happy New Year. Back to you. Corey Bigelow says, uh, for your pre-staining, how do you get your moisture low enough to stain? Our wood comes in too wet and will require stickers between every board to dry. That's exactly how we do it. Um, trying to think. Well, actually, if it was a YouTube short that went up yesterday, right, that showed uh, Bryce putting stickers on boards. Putting stickers on boards. But like drawing the boards, putting yeah. the strips in between. Yeah, the strips. Yeah, yeah, in between. Yeah. yeah, it was a short. So check out our YouTube. So you comment, you're watching, you comment on YouTube. So you're following the YouTube page. Um, shorts, yesterday's short video was Bryce stickering lumber. Uh, and that's really the best way of doing it. Why do you call it stickering? Stickering. Um, that's just what they call the thin pieces is stickers. Really? I don't know. Why do they call them stickers? Stickering. Um. What else we we would call them drying, Dry, strips? drying strips? I don't know. I mean, I just never. I, yeah, we are definitely not saying that he was strippering wood. <laughs> so yeah, 
But no, so yesterday's video showed uh, Bryce downstacking is actually the term we would use for it. Um, so a row of boards, three stickers, if it's six foot boards, three stickers, another row. So it's like another row. So it's like a, a, a picket lasagna, a fence picket lasagna kind of thing. Uh, but it allows airflow through. And that's typically what we do. Um, at any given time, typically we've got a couple bundles of each size picket that we would normally pre-stain. Uh, in a, we have a shop dedicated to pre-staining, and so it's got a big dehumidifier in there that's always running, and uh, yeah, just tries to pull the moisture out. And I'll tell you right now, so it doesn't always. We put in, we got a, we've, we got a big order in. Um, so there's a property management group here that represents uh, that represents somebody, and they placed an order for five fences. It it totaled somewhere around $40,000 for these five fences, uh, all cedar, all steel. So, uh, what this was, so you need to be careful, like how much we say, right. But, um, so this person had sold a big group of properties. And so there's, there's a 1031 exchange, which just is that if you sell properties, you don't have to pay capital gains on the properties. If you reinvest them to other properties, that's a fence guy's understanding. I'm sure there's more to that whole scenario, but my understanding is they had money, they had to invest it, or they had to pay tax on it. So it's pre-stained cedar materials, steel posts. They went and bought a group of homes. Five of them didn't have fences. They want every home to have a fence so that they can rent to people with pets because that's really common. Um, so yeah, so we got a big order. Yesterday, we brought in uh, two bundles of four foot, two more bundles of four foot pickets and at least two bundles of six foot pickets. We're probably going to have to have three or four bundles of six foot pickets in there to make up for what we're getting going to do. But, but all this to say the humidity in there right now is 64%, a bit high. So typically we like that room to stay around 30 to 40% lower to the better. Right. But typical for that particular room is 35 to 40% humidity. And we keep, we've got these big 48 inch box fans. And I don't know why they call them box fans because they're round, obviously. Big 48-inch fans spaced throughout the room that's just keeping air swirling, just circulating. But by putting stickers in the boards, we're pushing air through those boards, bringing humidity off the wood, trying to transport it towards the dehumidifier to then suck the moisture out, spit it out the building. So um, that's how we do it is we bring them in because you're right. A lot of these boards come in wet. So we've got to try to dry them out so that they'll properly accept the stain. That's how we do it. So some pickets, you know, depends on the, the time of year. Uh, but typically we like for the boards to be in there about a month before, before we go stain them, gives them plenty of time to dry out. Um, but that's the best way we found is, yeah, stickers between every board, run a bunch of air through them to uh, try to dry them out. I almost got a little bit uh, until I saw that we had already talked about this. He says, I believe you were born at Wake Medical Center. You would be correct. And then we did speak about this before. Okay. Whew. I almost got a little bit creeped out by this. But, uh, yeah, no, the old mall is now corporate office for the Epic Games corporate office, I believe. So so the mall I'm talking about, it's gone, gone. Like, they, they had bulldozers and semis, like semi-dump trucks, like hauling stuff out of there. Um, I think it was called the Cary Town Center, but I could be wrong. It had a massive, I want to say an oak tree. Like, remember, I was like 10 or 11 when we moved out. But 
I want to say it was like a massive oak tree. They brought this thing in on a semi, they planted it, and um, it's gone, gone. Like, this mall is – there wasn't any part of that mall left standing, was there, That when we drove around? I was not paying attention. No, that, that Cary Town Center the, on the other side of the berm from the house – it's all gone. Oh, it's all right. gone. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were like actively destroying it when you were there, but there was nothing like <laughs> yeah. standing anymore. Yeah. They're just moving rubble around. Got it. Yep. 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 So it's, it's gone, gone, unfortunately. Big Jerry says, We're in Holly Springs, about 10 minutes from Cary. I, this is all starting to come back to me. We're going to try to connect when you're in, but unfortunately, it didn't happen. I, I agree and I apologize. Um, so it was a very quick trip. We had enough time. So, we had enough time to get up early, drive, do some video, have a very quick lunch, and then get back because I had a we were having a live with T Kim that particular day. Uh, would love to connect sometime. I agree. I'd like to get back out to North Carolina. It is so it's just as pretty as I remember, just from a like landscape perspective. It is very beautiful country. I'd like to get back out there. So when I do, you're getting an email. Guatemala. I said Guadalajara. It's Guatemala. I'm still jealous of you being in Guatemala. So um, I'm interested to learn more about this project. You went down there for a service mission on. Uh, so they built furniture, like wood furniture out of pre-cut lumber as much as they could build in a day. So they trucked in, built as much as they could in a day, trucked back out. Uh, I'd be interested to learn a little bit more about that. JC Fence is in the house. Welcome. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, everyone. Hello back. Jay says, hello, Joe. I've been enjoying your content. Glad to have found you. I have fenced sales question. Ask it. Oh, it's in the next comment. What's a good closing percentage in the industry for residential fence salesmen? Probably varies. We're probably roughly about 30%. It was 32.5% uh, when we talked about it in fourth quarter of 2022. Um, I would imagine it was probably in that same ballpark now. So 30% seems to be seems to be pretty close. Now. You'll talk to guys that, that have a higher closing percentage, and you'll talk to guys that have a lower closing percentage. But it seems like industry average is right around 30%. Um, this is probably part of a bigger discussion on, um, you know, in the Fence Facebook groups, and and sometimes we take these comments with a grain of salt, right? But uh, there's folks that say, you know, we're, we're booked for the next six months. We're booked for next year. I saw one comment. One person was saying, hey, it's, it's slowing down in my market. Is it slowing down in your market? And someone came in there and said, I'm booked all next year. That's a problem. One person's opinion, my opinion, that's a problem. <laughs> what What is the price of anything going to be a year from now, right? So, And if you're booked a year out, I have got to think there is some pricing. There are pricing issues involved with this. Um our rule of thumb when we're when we're booking work six weeks is about the sweet spots about where my comfort level is um so if we're more than six weeks out we would typically raise prices until we brought them back to six weeks uh, a few times this past summer we were eight to ten weeks so we try to adjust pricing to bring that back to six weeks uh, but if we fell below six weeks then again we would adjust pricing to try to bring it back to six weeks of course we have a minimum 50 percent gross profit is where we like to live I'm not here to say that we only ever are 50%. Sometimes we'll get down into 45 if it got really slow. Like, so, you know, in the next month or two, so we're pretty close to spring. We're, what is it, like a month and a half, two months out from spring. So we're getting pretty close. Spring here in Southwest Missouri. 
Uh, but say in the middle of February, maybe we got less than four weeks out, we might get closer to 40%. I don't know. But we like to live about 50% in six weeks. If it got to eight to 10 weeks, we would 55, maybe 60%, just to try to bring that back a little bit. Um, but in terms of closing percentage, 30% is kind of where we like to live at. Um, if you see a lot more, again, that might indicate, you know, a mismatch in pricing. If you're a lot lower, again, might you might be mismatched on pricing. And what and when I say mismatch, just from the public perception of the value you're offering, right? So it you could absolutely be priced correctly for the materials and labor and overhead and pro you could be priced exactly right, but there might be a misperception to the public about the value you're offering. So it might not be adjusting pricing. It might be adjusting marketing and advertising to try to convey, hey, we're bringing the correct amount of value. We are priced correctly for the amount of value we're bringing. Um, yeah, I hope that helps. I don't know. JC Fence at 43% for 22. Nice. I love it. And, and here's the thing, right, is there's no right answer to this where we're at 32 and a half percent or whatever, that's right for us. 30% is kind of where I like to keep it. Uh, for Matt or JC, 43% is where he likes to say, stay. So there's no right or wrong answer. Well, like if you're at hundred percent close, that's, we would probably want to have a conversation about that. That I, I hesitate to call it wrong, but there might be some missed opportunities here. Um, but there's no right or wrong answer here. Right. So take it for what it's worth. So, for right now on the show, we range between 32 and 43%. Now that's a two sample size, two company sample size. So take that for what it's worth also. Vero Fence and Deck, my wife gets on gets on me after a hard day's work. I come home and watch fence videos like yours. Guilty. Guilty, guilty. Hey, and good morning. Vero, good morning to you. Um, I don't I think this is fair to talk about. So I watch YouTube videos in the evening, and I say that because like there's a business idea here, but it's like it's several years off and here's why. So I've been watching lumber mill videos, like guys that have a portable, like a, a wood miser. They're like portable bandsaws, but they're fairly permanent. You could move them if you had to. They're not like these massive barn buildings, like a massive circular saw operation. Anyway, I've been watching these because I'm interested because it obviously we build a fair amount of wood fence. It's like, well, just like we did with the chain link manufacturing, we're solving our own problems. Like, well, another problem is, cedar right now which that's something we'll talk about a little bit later on too um i've been watching videos so my wife after we put the kids to bed wife takes her bath she's having her time she's recuperating from the day because she's been battling with children all day we leave her alone she's doing her thing so that leaves me some free time so i'm typically in the family room watching youtube videos so this is probably a couple weeks ago now um, she walked in and she walks in, she looks up at the TV while I'm watching. She looks at me, she says, no, 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 what? Like, I need some context to the no here. Like, okay, but context would be nice. She goes, I, for three nights in a row, I've come in here and you've been watching these videos about guys with lumber mills, no lumber mill. You have a fence company. You have obviously a YouTube show. You've got a chain link manufacturing company that you're trying to get off the ground. You are not going, no lumber company. That's fair. That's fair. I hear you. But instead of no, could we make it a not right now? 
Could we just say like maybe no for now? Put a pin in that. Give it a couple years for some th- for this to mature a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, I say all that very offense to say I hear you. That's basically where I where I live is watching YouTube videos around fencing related content or business related content um, or things that are somewhat related to my business like lumber mills. I hear you. Nathan says, what revenue should be produced per crew on residential light commercial fencing? Is there a range that you've seen as typical? This is an interesting conversation. So per crew and per employee is, is something I've been talking to people about lately. Um, so a crew, well, let me tell you. So do some quick math here. Cause so we schedule by dollar amounts per week per crew, just as a, it seems to be a way that's accurate for us to adequately schedule them with the idea being that we can install a four foot picket fence a lot faster than we can install a eight foot shadow box fence. But the two of those fences are priced vastly different. So we price it by revenue per week. So, I mean, candidly, $25,000 per week per crew is roughly where we like to stay. So if we say, uh, times that times 50 weeks because we know we're going to have holidays. We're going to have weather times 50 weeks in a year. Uh, 1.25 is kind of where we come out, which makes sense. I think so. Not every week is 25,000. Like obviously in January, we're not pushing them to 25,000 because that's, that is moving. That is putting a bunch of fence in the ground. So that summer number, those are summer numbers, not winter numbers. Right. So roughly a million dollars is kind of where we earmark a crew is at your crew should be able to produce about a million dollars per year throughout the year. Um, now another, uh, what, uh, produce per crew. Yeah. Okay. So that answers that a residential and like commercial. And that's a fair point too, to say like, we don't do like, we don't do highway work. We typically don't do large scale industrial commercial. Like if we're talking about, uh, data centers, airports, prisons, that sort of thing is typically not in our bag. Um, Typically, projects that last less than a month is where we're at, and ideally less than a couple of weeks. So we like to be in and out and on to the next projects, just how our business model is set up. Now, also, there's an interesting conversation lately about revenue produced per employee and not per revenue producing employee, per employee, right? So our number is in the $220,000 per employee number, which is where I think we ought to be where it seems like a good number, at least for the fencing industry. And I was talking to some other fencing guys kind of about that. And it seems like that's where a lot of guys, two to 300,000 per employee. Uh, so I was watching, and again, I was watching TikTok, So everything there has to be true. Right. But um, I forget his name, but there's a guy that partners with Grant Cardone. So it's his like, operations build out guy which uh he's up to some interesting stuff but he was saying now they're they're talking about service space i think they're in it right now they're buying up a lot of hvac companies so it's obviously a different industry but he said their benchmark is five hundred thousand dollars per employee and if it falls below three hundred fifty thousand dollars they've got a problem i i would love to be in a position where we could do that but $220,000 $220,000 per employee is kind of where we're at at the moment. Now, one thing that that this person and I were talking, so I was talking to somebody about this specifically, and I said, I feel like the smaller the company, the more revenue per employee, because you typically don't have, for, 
primarily most of the employees, most of the team, team members are revenue producing, right? So if, if you're an owner operator and you've got two helpers, all three of you are revenue producing. You, you, uh, one crew again, about a million dollars. So we're going to talk, it's, what is it? $333,000, you know, repeating per team member. Okay. But when you start getting larger, you start having to, you have to start adding management layers, right? So bookkeeping, um, like financial sales, eh, sales is revenue generating, not revenue producing, right? So it, depending on how their pay structure is set up, you hear vastly different ideas on this, whether there's no, no commission, all salary, whether it's part salary, part commission, whether it's all commission. I've talked to companies that have all three models and everything in between. Um, but, you know, so fabricators, revenue produce, you know, are they revenue generating or not? That could be up in the air, right? So if we're repairing tools, well, we're saving money from having to not send them in. If we're building our own gates, we're saving money from not having to buy gates. But are they directly revenue generating? Uh, in that term, if we're building gates, probably so. The point being, as you grow, you start adding team members to your team that do not directly generate revenue. So that number on revenue per employee starts whittling away. So I think that's an interesting conversation that we should probably start having. Um, Anyway, not not real. That wasn't the question you were asking, Nathan. Um, but I hope I did answer your question. <laughs> Just like clockwork, Jackson and Josie both said hi, Dad. Hello, kiddos. Glad you guys could join us. When you calculate gross profit per job, do you include the entire company's overhead, or do you save that for company profit? So no. So overhead, my my understanding, overhead goes to net profit, not gross profit. Uh, so if we're talking about gross profit, that is taking out direct labor, you know, direct field labor, and materials, obviously. Now, equipment tied to the job would go into gross profit. So, um, you know, like the the Bobcat MT100, we, we average how many hours we use that thing in a year, how many hours of useful life the machine would have, and we've got a, like a per hour figure for equipment usage. Um, that would go to gross profit. Gross profit would be, like I said, equipment we can tie directly to the job. Now, we don't put like fabrication labor or overhead into that because overhead typically isn't a job-related, most overhead. I'd say overhead is kind of a broad term, but if we're talking about like building utilities, well, those don't, you can't tie those to a job. You can't job cost those out. Same thing with the building lease can't job cost that out. So those would go towards net rather than go towards gross. So in our business, gross profit is anything we can directly tie to a job. So one, one, one line item on the PL that kind of goes, I talked to you guys that go both ways would be fuel, fuel cost. So if we didn't have a job, if we didn't have this particular job, we wouldn't have the fuel to drive to that job and back. It's a fair argument. How much fuel did you use though to go to that job? If it's a if it's a day where we've got two smaller projects, two half day projects, so we had fuel from the office to one job, but then the second job it would be fuel from the first job to the second job. But if we didn't have the first job, it would be fuel from the office to the second job. So which of those do you attribute to the job cost? We don't job cost out fuel of the vehicles or fuel of the Bobcat because that would be 
little bit more difficult as well. Uh, when you calculate gross profit per job, do you include the entire company's overhead? No. And there's, you know, there's support. So like our receptionist, you can't job cost her payroll costs out to a job. Uh, the bookkeeper, we can't job cost her, you know, payroll overhead or payroll, payroll burden, employment burden, and all that out to a job. Though Those types of overhead would go to net, not out of gross. So gross is typically the materials and the labor that we can directly attribute to the job and the equipment costs we can directly attribute to the job or the equipment rental. If we have to go rent a specific piece of equipment would go to gross, not net. The rest of it would typically come out of net. Now that's the way we handle it. I'm sure there are different ideas on how to do that. I've talked to different people like with the fuel, the argument would be, well, if you didn't have jobs, you wouldn't have fuel to go to the jobs. So fuel is a gross item not a net item. I hear you. But we also have fuel that gets spent driving materials back or going and picking materials. So not really one job, it's multiple jobs or, you know, project management fuel. You probably could attribute that to, you know, if we're, if we're doing project management on Fridays, we'll go see four or five different jobs. Well, we're not going to try to job cost the fuel for that particular day across those four jobs. That makes sense. Some people do hats off to you. I mean, that's, that's a fair amount of detailed tracking. Uh, but for us, if we're talking about the entire company overhead, that would go to net, not gross in our particular case. I always like to say that because like, I get it. Everyone, everyone does things differently. This is just the way that works for us. This is the way that I've learned from my dad and my granddad. This just works for us. I understand other people do it differently. Is a 50% gross profit off materials only or material and labor? Okay. So I think we probably just answered this. Uh, materials, labor, and equipment that we can directly attribute to the project. Sparta Defense says, best way that you found to track closing percentage. I, so we track uh, bid opportunities. So quote, so we track quote tools that come in because I, I count that as a bidding opportunity. So, and let's get a little bit more granular, granular, granular with this. Uh, so someone goes and fills out a quote tool. Now we have it. You can you can have the quote tool, the my salesman quote tool, set up one of two ways, or at least you could. This is the way we have it set up: is that you can either have them have the customer, the potential customer, enter all their information in the beginning, go through the steps, and then submit at the end. What we found about that is when we were reaching out to people, they didn't realize that they were requesting a call or requesting us to reach out to them. They were just getting a budgetary number. They weren't really serious about it. They were just trying to figure out what it would cost in the future. The way we have it set up is the customer would go through the product, so they would enter an address, a type of fence, and all that. They don't enter their contact information until they're requesting the proposal or requesting the final, requesting someone to come out. So they've already seen the proposal, but if they want someone to reach out to them, then they would enter their contact information. So once they've done that, it's a, it now integrates directly with Job Nimbus. So it goes into Job Nimbus, and then it kind of falls into an automation. Once it hits Job Nimbus as a bidding opportunity. That's where we start. And so then it is jobs sold versus bidding opportunities to get a closing percentage. Um, some people would say, well, bid sold versus bid submitted. And they're probably and we would probably be pretty close on the two of those, but sometimes you have people that submit the proposal, but they never end up getting a quote because they ask, do you service in my area or 
from any, or they just drop off the face of the earth. So in my mind, maybe we didn't do a good enough job trying to reach out to them correctly. What, and I say correctly, email, text, phone call, what have you. Typically, all of ours are by email right now, but could we have followed up with a phone call to try to schedule a time for us to talk about the project? Or could we reach out via text? Probably so. Bidding opportunities versus actual jobs sold is how we track our closing percentage. I hope that makes sense. Stevie Boy Billings, good afternoon, all. Good afternoon from across the pond. Glad you're joining us. Kyle Hamburg says, I'm late, but in here. Better late than never, Kyle. You're not late. Oh, we're getting close, though, aren't we? We're 48 minutes in. And we're and an hour is, like, really where we need to be on this. Dan Wheeler says, in your opinion, what dollar amount should your fence company be at to justify a shop guy? That's going to vary. It's going to vary pretty widely. So in our, and, and here's in our case where it made sense is when we could start producing enough gates that kept this person busy 75% of their day or their week, it made sense. Now for us, we only get a, we only get material deliveries once a week. And for whatever reason, every supplier shows up on Thursday. Thursday is the Springfield Metro area day, whether we're talking about, whether we're talking about any of the national wholesalers, right? So if we needed a gate on a Monday, well, we would just have to wait till Thursday. And as long as it was a just a re standard four by four residential gate, four by five residential gate, six by four commercial gate, whatever. If you wanted a six by five and a half commercial gate, well, it wouldn't be there this week. You would have a couple of weeks wait while they fabbed it up and brought it down. So for us, if we could keep a person busy 75% of their day or their week, then it made sense for us to bring someone in. And because then we could more quickly build these custom gates. It made even more sense when we started produce, when we started selling retail and wholesale, because then we could produce gates for other people too. You know, at this point, we keep we keep two people, uh, well, more than 75% busy through the week and, and through their day. And then we've got a third team member that we're now training on welding uh, so that they can pitch in on, you know, these big, you know, a, a 35, 40 foot cantilever where we could put three machines on it pretty easily. Or in the summer when we're really cranking out fence and we can create three different workstations to produce uh, gates out of. But if you get, I don't think it's a dollar amount. Um, and I think it's going to vary because if we lived in a market where we could readily go get those gates and it wasn't wildly out of price line, price line, out of line price wise, uh, we probably would have waited longer before going and getting them. Um, for us, it's more of a percentage of time allocated. If we could keep them busy 75% of their day or their week, um, then it made sense for us just to have a fabricator. JC Fences, great explanation. Thank you. Super helpful. I appreciate it. Like I say, it, our way of doing it, I don't mind sharing with you guys. I try to be as transparent as possible, but with a caveat of like, this is just our way. Other people do it differently, and it doesn't mean it's wrong it's just different or sometimes it's better sometimes we learn with it sometimes i learn a thing or two on here by talking to you guys in the comment section front rock fences says good morning joe from front front rock fences good morning front rock fences where are you guys out of adam sims what's up adam hey joe picking up a driver tuesday fantastic which one did you go with uh you know we intend to change the game in north georgia i am aware and i'm excited to watch it uh, change the game driving post, especially aluminum. I like this a lot. Thoughts on this process and any general advice for not only us, but everyone as a whole. I think if you're in an area that is conducive to driving, I think 
there's more advantages and disadvantages to driving, whether it's dirt cleanup, whether it's actually strength of the post, because like there's this whole uh, conversation about when we're drilling a hole, we're actually reducing the compaction of the dirt around the hole. So you've got teeth on these augers that are faced out, chewing through this dirt. So even after you set in concrete, the dirt around this post isn't compacted anymore. And typically, depending on how well you clean out the hole, the dirt at the bottom of the hole isn't compacted either. This is why you see fences settle and move just as that earth recompacts around the new post. By driving a post, you obviously don't have this. You're actually compacting it slightly more by forcing this post into the ground. Uh, so whether we're talking about compaction, whether we're talking about no dirt cleanup, uh, also easier to miss utilities. You know, if we've got if we've got an I beam that we're driving into the ground, it's obviously going to have a smaller footprint than if we were going to have an eight inch or ten inch auger trying to poke a cylinder into the hole. Um, easier to work around utilities. Irrigation's a big one, right? So there's more pros than cons in most areas. Now, I already hear people saying, but Joe, we have rocks. I get it. But most fence systems can accommodate that, right? So I Adam, I'm really excited to watch you grow and watch you take over northern Georgia. Uh, I'm excited and I'm watching. Front rock fences from Calgary, Alberta. Very good. Very good. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Speaking of protecting your radius podcast, great explanation of gross versus net. Lots of way to get the same numbers. And that's absolutely true. Just because we include things in gross rather than net or vice versa doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just how we do it. Jay says proposals versus estimates sold divided by proposals presented sent is an easy way to track a closing percentage. Absolutely agree. And that's so for us. So we just take it one step back. So um, ours would be you know, proposals sold divided by bidding opportunities. So again, like a quote tool that comes in, but maybe we're not able to reach out to them or connect with them to actually give the proposal. That's, that's just how we track it. Uh, but this is absolutely an easy way. How many bids did you send out? How many did you get back? Is a very, very good starting point for closing percentage. Adam got the Rhino Multi Pro XA. I'm I would love to hear your uh, your experience with that. I I would just like to, a lot of people use them. We haven't, so I'd like to hear your experience. Jeremy says, "Happy kiddo birthday weekend." I may reach out. I paired up with an established company owner recently, and I'd like to get your thoughts on a few things I'm trying to do. Absolutely, always feel free to reach out to me, guys. Joe at thefenceexpert.show. Thefenceexpert.show. Uh, always happy to reach out to you guys, or you're always happy to talk to you guys when you reach out through that email. Now, sometimes emails are not replied back on the same day because sometimes there's a lot going on around here. But I do make an effort to reply back to everyone when I do have a chance. Same thing with comments on here is I try to reply back to most comments, most comments that make sense. And there's some people that have some crazy comments out there, but um, sometimes they're not the same day. Sometimes it takes a little while, but I try to make an effort to get back with everyone. Braden, appreciate it. Joe at thefenceexpert.show is where you can get a hold of me. Now, we need to watch this week's video, which means we're going to go over the hour, and I apologize. But technically, I built in a buffer. If I'm out of here within an hour and a half of the show start, we're good. So I already knew this was coming. All right, let's – oh, I didn't even... – <laughs> okay. I didn't even get it connected yet. So hold one with me. Wait, what? Well, I didn't share it. I didn't do a screen share. 
There we go. All right, let's make this a little bigger. I give you guys this week's video. Is this like a final video or is this like rough? Okay. Unless there's issues. <laughs> As of right now, this is the final. <laughs> Sounds good. All righty. Bon voyage, fellas. The maiden voyage, baby. The goose. Now that Wireworks is up and running, we need a way to move the wire around when we're not shipping LTL across the country. See? down to arkansas or something so anyway we bought a 30-foot gooseneck trailer now this trailer is a trailer of multi-purposes not only does it transport chain link wire around the midwest it also can transport about 1100 foot of temporary panels down to branson family road trip all right all right so it is tuesday morning we are headed down to branson with about a thousand foot of temporary panels uh, it's supposed to get a little cold here in a couple days. I think like four for high, negative five or six for a low. So we decided they missed that by a lot. <laughs> like windshield got down to like negative 26. Yeah. So negative five would have felt balmy. Today's a pretty good day to go do panels. It's about an hour away down in Branson. Now, with this being a new trailer and all new straps, because we didn't want to rob straps from other trucks and put them on this truck, everything's still a bit new. And we had a bit of a snafu with the straps on the side of the interstate, of course. This one's good now. So at first I thought that was music in the truck. I was like, what were we <laughs> listening to? Like, I don't, that makes, this makes more sense. So this is just for some context. Uh, this is a hotel that they are like completely gutting. They are just, there's a crew there that was gutting everything out of every room. I think it's going to be back, obviously back into a new hotel. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting. I'm thinking two of you pull off panels while one of you puts feet down and we just kind of build it as we go. Not, we're not going to put in key posts and wire until the end, but we're going to set them up in feet and then we can have it. So then once that's done, we can have two groups start at either end, wrap and meet in the middle. We'll have to drive some key posts, stuff like that at the end. But I think we just, I think we put up panels and feet for the beginning. Let's start with the panels on the back because those seem to be the slipperiest. Leave the ones on top strap down, on front strap down until we're ready for them just so they don't slip slide around. The wisdom for me? Uh, no, right now. Words of wisdom. <laughs> That's so great. All right, so we made it, Branson, safe and sound. No lost panels or anything. Now, this job is a bit unique. It's pretty special in that we can drive around the entire job site. We can get this done a lot faster than if we were to have to park the trailer and move them all around the job site by hand. Now, so this job was a couple weeks ago. Last week, we or no, this week we had a job uh, in Joplin, still an hour away. Now, an hour in a different direction, but an hour away. Uh, it took us about twice as long, and we could, we could at least drive close to a lot of it. Um, I think that'd be safe to say, right? So we could, we back down that alley. We, yeah, for the most part. We yeah. all but like 300 foot of it, we couldn't reach. But that 300 foot, we had to walk out. Uh, and it, 
what doubled the time yeah, i think it's like about four hours i think yeah. yeah about four hours to set up that day i think we set up 1100 feet thereabouts um yeah so being able to drive around it is very nice Good job. Thanks, buddy. We ended up driving TPOs as we went around so we wouldn't have to drag that driver back around. So the plan changed in the middle of the project, as usual. Just like that, a couple hours, we got about 1,100 feet of temporary fence put up. Not bad. The only bad thing is we had just as much time driving here and back as we did setting the panels up. So all that occurred on Tuesday. No? Did you guys make any videos? I, I know you shot video of sliding down that concrete. Did you turn those into anything? I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't. Fast forward to Thursday, we got some interesting weather that i think a lot in the midwest also participated in so we took this as an opportunity to try weaving a new type of wire if you watch the show you've seen us weave galvanized wire we're getting fairly good at it if we don't say so ourselves but we hadn't tried black yet so this time around we're going to try some black extruded and bonded which i'll get into the difference between extruded and extruded and bonded in the video needless to say we had a pretty good time it is really cold outside. So it's so cold. Not many people are working today, but Joe and Bryce and Eric, I believe, are over at Wireworks. I'm going to go over there, and see what they're doing. Let's hit it. So, as you can see, it's not the nicest out here. All the cars are going really slow. It's really slick. So, it's probably best to have called it off. Off to Wireworks we go. So, I got to work an hour and a half ago, and there's nothing on the road. So, now they're starting to get slightly covered. It's still not so this is interesting. It was so cold also that the uh, this the windshield defrosters weren't working. Like on, I talked to a lot of people like, yeah, the defroster, it would work when you were standing still. But once you got going, the defrosters couldn't uh, keep up. I'm not sliding too much yet, but it's definitely going to get bad. You made it. Why it works. We got the black. Common is two inch. So we got two, two and a quarter, and then two, two and a half. So I'd say red would be the one and a half. So what we were doing, and we might talk about this in the video, but what we were doing is we were going from a normal two-inch worm drive, which, so this is what helps form the smooth wire into the diamond shape that we're used to seeing in chain link. Um, this one's polished so that as the wire is coming through, the extruded wire, well, extruded bonded in this case, it's not nicking it as it goes through. What are you doing, Bryce? I'm putting this black wire through the killer rollers to go into windy. Yeah, what my face cut off there is Wendy is the name that the guys have given to this particular machine. So right now, Bryce is switching all the worm drives and tooling over to a polished set. 
We're still doing two inch mesh, but we're switching to a polished set because we're running the black coated wire through. It's important as polished so it doesn't nick it or scrape it as it's working its way through the drive. Um, now, we're gonna be using extruded and bonded wire, which will probably run a little bit nicer than regular extruded wire. To talk about the differences, let's actually uh, head over to the other side of the shop and break it down a little bit more. All right, so what we have here is a piece of extruded and bonded wire, black coated, 11 gauge core, eight gauge finish to be specific. The other is just regular extruded wire that we had uh, picked up from a national wholesaler. So here's the thing. So say this wire gets nicked for whatever reason, weed eater, whatever. This coating peels right off. I mean, just there's nothing to use their words. There's nothing bonding this coating to this wire. So if you get a break in the twist or just any sort of scuff, it'll peel right off. Now with the extruded bonded, again, you get a nick in it. You've really got to try it. Try to peel this off and you can kind of see it's you can see the glue in there. So that's the process, right? Is is this strand, both the same strand, gets run through a machine. Well, not the same strand, they're from different manufacturers, but you get it. So they run through the machine. This strand actually got an adhesive, a glue applied to it before the PVC was applied, so that it's bonded to this. So where this just peels off easily you've really got to work at it i'm gonna try so if you really work at it you can peel it off but like you say that bonding agent that glue really helps keep it on the wire now when we're talking about price the price is relatively it's about a penny per square foot difference between extruded and extruded bonded it's kind of a no-brainer on our end to run extruded bonded because if this wire gets nicked in the machine you could end up peeling off quite a bit of this coating, whereas the bonded obviously helps helps it keep on the uh, on the strand. It keeps that from happening, getting gummed up in the system. It's also a better product for the end consumer, your clients and customers. You're getting a better product. Like I said, if they nick it with the weed eater, it's not going to peel off like extruded could. Uh, now, if we're talking about ASTM, we're talking about a class one wire versus a class two A wire. Now there's also a class two B wire, which is fused and bonded, different process. We actually don't have any on hand to go over with, but this in a two B in a fused and bonded wire, you wouldn't be able to peel this off at all. You would literally have to whittle off all of it because it is literally fused to the, the core, to the uh, galvanized strength. And that's another interesting point here too, is both of these are galvanized cores. Typically, no matter whether you're buying extruded or extruded bonded, class one versus class two A, uh, they're gonna have a galvanized core. So if it does get a nick, we're still not gonna see rust here. Like at the ends where you see cuts, you won't see rust there. But yeah, kind of interesting look in the difference between extruded and extruded bonded. Enter code hardware at the link below for your chance to win an Amazon gift. I like that. Now, we thought we were hang of wire weaving. We were pretty decent at galvanized. And then we got humbled by this black extruded and bonded. It took a bit longer than we expected it to before we were fully up and running. 20 problems later. See how much it snowed. Oh, wow. It snowed a lot. So, you tell me. I absolutely understand, Alberta. A lot is relative to what we're used to seeing. 
entire day went by and we weren't able to run wire. In fact, we also weren't able to run wire the next day. We finally started running wire on the third day, about halfway through the third day, which technically we're still under par on that. The first time we switched over from say a six foot galvanized to seven foot galvanized, it took us about three days to handle that changeover. We're about two and a half days on the changeover to black. So I think we're still okay. And that's a ramp. Not the most successful day we've had, but sometimes it's like that. So we all stayed warm there, everyone's safe. And yeah, that's another day here. Nice. Let me know what you guys think about this week's episode. Bring it down. There we go. So what what I should have said is like on galvanized. So it did take us three days to switch, to figure out, to do switchovers on our own. We had a trainer here from Burgandy, the company that makes some machinery uh, for a week. And we produced a ton of wire in that week because we had a, we had someone that knew exactly what they were doing. He'd been doing it for, the majority of his life. Uh, once he left, it took us about three days to handle a changeover. Now, now we can do it in about an hour and a half thereabouts. And we're still, I think there's still room for improvement. Seems like the guys I talked to with these machines, they can handle changeovers in about an hour. So a little bit of room of improvement, but we've gone from three days to a day to four hours to now it's two hour and a half to two hours. Um, so I anticipate the same thing on black. It's just a whole new world. And, to get really technical with it is because you can't put pressure. I don't know how to explain this without having a machine here, but sometimes you put pressure on the wire as it comes, as it's being drawn into the machine, you put extra tension, extra pressure on that to form the diamonds. Now this is, this is going to get a lot in the weeds, but the problem with this black, we were extruded bonded. If you put too much pressure, actually, if you put any pressure on the wire as it's being drawn into the machine, it will nick inside the elbow so where those chain links meet on the inside it would start having a nick because it's wrapping around that blade we tried thickening the lubricant we tried pushing more lubricant to it uh, couldn't find out we had to take all the pressure off now to do that when you do that you lose a lot of your control over whether that wire standing up and i understand this isn't gonna make a lot of sense but just in how that wire is formed so it took us a few days to really dial that process in but now we know what we know. So, and we actually, the next thing, next problem was we were having nicks when we were knuckling, when we were knuckling it over, we we're having little nicks where the knucklers were the fingers that push this thing into a knuckle uh, where it would scrape the wire. So couldn't find out Burgandy makes a different type of finger. It's got a roller on it uh, to form this over. So that's our next step, but we're getting there. Right? We produced 200 feet of wire that I would, that I'm proud to produce. Uh, we would go install it, put our name on it. So I think that's a win. Siri apparently doesn't understand anything I'm saying, which is probably part for the course. All right, let's follow up. If you got any last minute questions or comments, drop them in the comments below. We're going to start wrapping this thing up. Front Rock Fences says, I was wondering which days I should attend at Fence Tech in Oklahoma City. Uh, also, when is the fence game? I'm not sure at all on the fence games. Um, I'm not sure which days I would I would assume so Thursday is like the big full day of the showroom floor of the show floor. I think it opens I'd have to look. I think it opens at noon on Wednesday, part the way through Wednesday. Thursday is the big full day, and then Friday it closes at noon. Uh so really two day two full days of show floor access. 
uh, over the course of three days, if that makes sense. Now, prior to the show floor being open, there's educational seminars going on that start, I believe, actually, I know they start Tuesday. So uh, if you guys follow my Facebook channel, you know we're going to be there Tuesday afternoon to attend Matt Warner's talk. Uh, he's got he's got a lot to say, and to be it, we want to be in the crowd. And you, know, Matt's kind of building this up. It, he and I talked about it very briefly at like thirty thousand foot view. He said, "I just want to know, want you to know what to expect, so you can impress on people that it is going to be important to hear." Um, but he left me wanting a little bit more, so we will be there Tuesday, three uh, o'clock possibly. Check my Facebook page. I I shared the infographic there, but it's Tuesday afternoon. Um, so if you, but if you're only going for the show floor, if you're there Wednesday, you have a full day Thursday. If you push it, you can get through the show floor in a day, but that's pushing it. And that's not really stopping and having many conversations with vendors. There's a lot of vendors in this, in this space. They are really compressed in there. So it's a lot to take in. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff that's typically rolled out. You, I, in New Orleans, we didn't attend any of the educational seminars, but we were there for all three days. We flew in the day before, so we we're there all three full days. Um, we were there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So we we're there when the doors opened. We were there when they asked us to leave on Friday, and we barely covered it. Giving ourselves, obviously, time to make content, shoot some videos, but have a lot of good conversations also with vendors that I would want to talk to in Ozark for Ozark Fence for my actual installation business. Um, the more time you can give yourself, the better, honestly, especially knowing that fence games is going on in the middle of it. So knowing that, I mean, obviously we'll want to watch that. I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, it's going to take away from time that you could be spending on the show floor talking to vendors. So I don't know. I would, if you could swing it, I would plan on being there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Tuesday would be, if you can, if you could really swing it Tuesday, you would want to be there for Matt's talk. Um, just in the little bit I've talked to him about what the subject matter pertains to, it's going to be a talk that not many people are going to want, want to miss. I would encourage everyone to be there. Uh, if anyway, I am. We will be there for Tuesday for Matt's talk on Tuesday. Panels are the way to go, absolutely. And with Fence Genius, you can make custom wood panel systems. Agreed. Yeah, wouldn't really for the temporary fencing. It might not be the most economical thing out there, but. Fence Rock Fences says, Front Rock Fences says, love the video. Great job. That would go to Braden. He does a great job on those. Bo Butler says, morning, Joe. How long did it take for take you to recover your investment on the temporary fence? And how hard is it to keep it in the field, making money and not just sitting in your lot? It's an ebb and a flow. Actually, so Braden and I were talking about this. We were talking about this right before the show. So we had, so that project was 1,100 feet. The one in, we went out to Joplin this week, that one was 1,600 feet. We've got one next week, 600 feet. So it's funny. We'll go a month without going and setting up panels. In the last three, you know, four weeks, we've had three weeks of panel set up. So uh, how quickly do you recuperate the investment? Let's look at this. So um, we don't talk price here, right? Because that could lead to uncomfortable conversations about price fixing in the Sherman Act. But uh, I'm going to divide... Our panel cost divided by what we charge in a month. All right. So we would, no. Divided by that number. 
it takes about a year of them being out to pay for them in terms of what we charge in a monthly rental versus what we would pay retail. Now, we since we have a fabrication shop, we build we build our panel. So you probably cut that number roughly in half. So for us, it's probably a six six month recovery. Uh, but the life expectancy on these things is several years. I was going to say, yeah, what's the life expectancy? Is that is several years with repairs or? Yeah, with repairs. Yeah. With, and, and listen, we've got some panels out there that are probably two or three years old that have never been repaired. It just depends. Yeah. Does the crane run over them or does somebody drop something on them? I mean, who knows? So these new, the newer panels we're using are Z and D panels, very slick panels. And actually figuratively and for real, like they are really slick. They move around a lot. Um, but they're well-made. So I would expect for those to last longer. Now the payoff on those is obviously longer because we bought them. We didn't fabricate them. Um, but I think two to three years is reasonable on lifespan of a panel, even with repairs. Um, if you get the right job sites. So we've got some job sites where panels are there for a year. Like we've got two of them that I'm thinking of right now that they've been there at least a year. Um, and they're big job sites. So I would expect that those panels will come back you know, we might have a handful of them. These are several thousand feet of panels. Um, we will probably have a handful of panels need repairs, typically the gate panels, just because they get used all the time and there's vehicles traveling around them. Uh, but the majority of those panels aren't going to need repaired at all. So, you know, we might get four years out of, out of one of those panels. Or it could go to another, another job site the next week and the crane will run over it. For whatever reason, that's like a – that the number one reason for panel repairs lately has been cranes running over them. Not going to say anything about crane operators, but – I'm just stating facts as it relates to my business. Jonathan says, great explanation on the wire. We use extruded and bonded on all of our residential chain link jobs. And that's why that's why we wanted to run it. Now, it, and this is like a regional thing, right? So when I'm looking around, when I'm talking to other guys in our region, in the Midwest, about what they're using, a lot of what the national producers are producing in our region uh, is just extruded, not extruded bonded. And so I was like, well, maybe it's a cost thing. Well, no, it's about a, about one cent a square foot really is the difference in price. So I don't know the reason they're only running extruded, not extruded bonded. Um, it, now it probably, so one thing we learned is during the manufacturing, it is harder to manufacture. So if you think about it, so the inner core is bonded to that outer jacket as you're twisting it to make that diamond and you're running it down and, and making these chain link fins. And when you're knuckling it, it's more prone to tear. So just that coating. Now, because it's bonded, it doesn't separate. But like I said, that inner core, you're asking it to bend and the jacket to follow, it wrinkles or tears more easily than an extruded would because in, in regular extruded that's not bonded, that inner core can rotate independently of the outer jacket, the outer vinyl jacket. So you get less tears in it. Is that the reason? I don't know. But I can see it. I can see you being able to run it faster with less takeouts, with less tears, with less, I can see that happening with extruded versus extruded bonded. So maybe that's the reason. Um, now we're running extruded bonded because the the bigger clients that we service, um, they do the same thing, Jonathan. They use extruded bonded on residential, fused bonded on commercial. So that's what we're learning with now. And then we can mess with extruded later if we want to. But at the price point, at, at a penny a square foot, I'm not sure extruded makes a lot of sense, but we will offer it because we want to give people choices. Um, so that's one thing to talk about too is, so when galvanized, uh, I was having this conversation this morning with another uh, potential client, the difference between imported and domestic produced wire, 
I think it would surprise people. Um, I don't know how to say this. I think it would surprise people how how much of the wire that's sold in the United States is made with imported strand. Um, yeah, just based on price. And so I'm looking at price points where I know the cost points are. Now, I, I understand these larger national manufacturers buy at larger scale. They probably get a little bit better pricing. But the pricing differences I'm seeing between what we can produce it for and what a national supplier is more than um, – efficiencies at scale right so if you have 100 machines and you're buying 100 times of the wire we're buying you will have a discount and you can produce it you can probably produce it a little bit more efficiently but not that much cheaper 10 or 15 percent maybe for efficiencies efficiencies of scale but we're seeing we're seeing far more than that in pricing discrepancies so and then when you talk when you talk to some of the national suppliers at least the ones that we that we deal with about um country of origin on the strand, you know, can we get a certificate that's domestically produced? And the answer is more often than not, no, uh, or that they could produce it with domestic wire, but the stuff that they have on the lot doesn't have a domestic cert certificate with it. So a lot more import wire than I guess I thought was in the market. Um, now it's domestically produced and this is a bit of a gray area on what we can say is made in America. Um, it, the gray area is if you significant if a significant portion of the value of the product is derived on U.S. soil, it can be stamped made in America, um, even if it's with global parts. I think that's that's what a lot of the auto manufacturers are saying now. I mean, are assembled in America with globally sourced parts. And they import the stuff and they make it here. Um, anyway, so we've got some import wire coming in. Uh, that is going to make us even more, even more competitive, right? But what we're going to do is make it a little bit more transparent. So we've already added some transparency to this whole industry by publicly displaying our prices. If you go on our website, shameless plug, OzarkWireworks.com, uh, we have a pricing page and it clearly states the pricing for extruded, extruded bonded, fused bonded, uh, coated wire, also galvanized 11 and a half, 11, nine gauge. Um, when the import wire gets in, which should be at the end of this month, um, we're going to have another Ozark, line item. OzarkWireworks.com? Yeah. Does that not work? Uh, OzarkWireworks.com. Interesting. Oh, it has to be www. This really? is something I don't understand. Well, but we're working with someone right now. Oh yeah, that's what. Yeah, that'll do. That's what will be fixed. Okay. Yeah, cool. that's one of the things. So, www.ozarkwireworks.com brings up the, and then you can click over. It brings up our website, and then you can click on pricing, and it will bring you to. You know, you will see vinyl coated prices here. I could probably share the screen. Let's see. Present. Share screen. Six Front minutes, side. by the way. I know. We're over. Don't want you to get in trouble. I know, I know, I know. Anyway, so, yeah, this is the pricing screen. So where we see vinyl coated, and then we see galvanized before weaving. Oh, okay, so I've already added it. 1.2 ounce domestic strand. So there will be another, another segment under this that will be galvanized before weaving. 1.2 ounce import strand just 
like I say, so we're completely transparent with people. Like you have options on what you pay for wire and what the different, you know, what the producers are, where the wire is coming from, that sort of thing. So anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but um, yeah, we're trying to bring some transparency to things because it's um, less than transparent at the moment. So I think that'll help. Uh, let's see. Finchina says, good video. Thanks for the education on the different wires. Very welcome. Caleb Bird says, is anyone developing any new technology when it comes to fence building? I mean, the software technology is obviously taking off. Um, I mean, there's different, um, me and a couple of partners are bringing a new product to the market that changes how like aluminum fence. So it's a driven iPost. Um, it's actually the same as iPost. Um, so we're developing some new products to bring to the market or some new installation techniques, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I think so. We're developing new technology is always a weird word, right? Like, I guess a different installation technique might be deemed technology. I don't know. Um, cool, short and sweet answer is you betcha. All right, guys, we, we are an hour and 24 minutes into this and we got to go. So, uh, if you guys have any more questions, uh, Braden already dropped it in the comments, Joe at the fence expert.show brings an email to me. If you guys are listening to the podcast, I really appreciate it. We'll, we'll add that email address as a contact email address in the show notes. Um, yeah, guys, I appreciate you tuning in. Reminder, next week, no show. Um, we've got a guy's trip in Tulsa that I haven't missed. Well, uh, I did miss it for Josie's bird. So I've missed it once in the last 20-plus years. So we're going to try to keep that streak alive. All right, guys, for now, Joe Everest, the fence expert, reminding you that good fences make good neighbors. And I'll see you in a couple weeks.